Hello and welcome to the Radio Debrief podcast, where we run down the big stories making the headlines. I'm your host, Thomas McCann, and joining me this week is returning guest, Ruri Holden. Hello. And newcomer, Aaron Proctor. Hello. How are we doing today, guys? I'm good, thank Fine. you. How are you? Lockdown has been rough, because I feel Boring. like I've been <laughs> trapped in my house for every the last year is, of my life. But Every you know, day is groundhog day. Yeah, genuinely, but we're dedicated students with a lot of uni work to get done, so so much. that's a blessing if you want to look at it like that, keeps your mind busy, but anyway, I think we should just get right into this one, um, because this first story we've got coming up this week is one of my favourites for just how insane this person appears to be, but that's for other people to judge. So we'll just get straight into the first story this week. Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene has been expelled from her roles on the Education and Budget Committees by the House of Representatives after voicing her belief in multiple outlandish conspiracy theories. The representative from Georgia stated before the vote that she no longer believed in these conspiracies she'd previously given her support to before she ran for office. So have you guys been keeping up to date with this story see the only thing i'd heard from her was that picture of her on the congress floor with the censored face mask on um, and it was just a meme and i thought that was really funny um, yeah. but it wasn't until you <laughs> sent me the story I, 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 honestly before this happened i'd never heard of her yeah well, neither. That, that's the thing when she when she first got elected into office she was seen as this you know, exciting new high flyer in the Republican Party, and you know she could be, you know, the future of the party, and um, you know she was quite popular among her colleagues. But then that's when all the videos started coming out, and so yeah, as I said before the vote, she was saying, you know, the the person she was then, which was you know only two years ago. She was saying the person she was then, you know, that's, you know, it's like, oh, it's someone I don't recognise anymore. Um, I was just angry at our government and I uh, don't believe in these theories anymore. But she she wasn't saying that when these videos came out. She only started saying it when the vote was about to take place. So, you know, do you, do you think it's genuine? Do you think it's a genuine apology for saying these things in the past? Well, I don't, because I think it's pretty obvious that people will abandon principles and their beliefs if they feel threatened in such a way. So, like, she's, her job's obviously come under threat. Why wouldn't she? She's clearly in a position to try and backtrack on what she said. And they're so, like, inane and dangerous conspiracy theories that you'd have to be pretty insane to believe them in the first place. So how could they kind of go back and say, oh, no, I don't believe them anymore? But I think she's just she's kind of realised that her job's at stake now, and she's panicking. I think. Yeah, I mean, um, I watched a video of somebody on this guy on CNN basically just slating her speech um, on the like before the vote, um, and how disingenuous it was, um, but like not he she never like outright said um, that the conspiracy theories that she was saying were not true. Like she said. 9 11 did happen she's not denying that and um, what she did deny was that there there wasn't a plane in the pentagon that didn't go through pentagon um and she was like school shootings are real um but like yeah school shootings are real but are 
Parkland real or is this shooting in Vegas real? She never said that. Yeah. So it's very like she was like covering herself up in a very smart exactly. way. I but think that even like if she's kind of covered herself up a bit, she's still promoting theories that believe that various school shootings with children were murdered were staged. Like the beliefs that she is promoting. She might maybe not at rate saying all oh, these shootings didn't happen, but she's still promoting the people and the theories that believe that they didn't happen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And for those of you who don't know about what she's been saying, I've got a few examples here that have come out in the recent weeks. So she was a believer in the conspiracy group QAnon who believe Trump was waging a war against satanic child-abusing cannibals. So that that's an interesting <laughs> one. She um, had liked posts on, I think it was Facebook or Twitter, that was calling for the execution of Democrats like Obama and uh, Nancy Pelosi. Um, my fa- my favourite one, just for total, total, total disregard to reality, um, she believed the California wildfires were started by a space laser controlled by a Jewish banking company. That's definitely one of the I mean, most insane it, things like, I've ever heard. It's because it was to benefit another Jewish senator or something. <laughs> it, w- it wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Um, I, I, she also tweeted something. Um, she tweeted, I woke up early this morning, literally laughing, thinking about what a bunch of morons the Democrats, plus 11, are for giving someone like me free time. This, she tweeted this referencing the 11 Republicans who also voted to remove her. Saying yeah. that she's actually surprised that they're even giving someone like so even she knows that she's like insane. That she's yeah. surprised that such like a lot of people are standing out against her. Right? And not only did she say that she believed that school shootings were staged and that a plane didn't crash into the Pentagon on nine eleven, but she actually heckled school shooting survivors in the streets who were going to Congress to try and push for gun reform and she was shouting at them saying that they were trying to take away her rights as a as a legal gun owner. So yeah, she's had she's had a fair few scandals, but a lot of Republicans surprisingly have still stuck with her and, you know, I don't know whether that's they don't want the embarrassment of admitting that someone within their own ranks is, you know, could could act this way, or if they do, if they are just genuinely on her side, because the vote in the House of Representatives, um, to have her stripped of her roles in these committees, it passed by, two hundred and thirty votes to a hundred and ninety nine, and only, eleven Republicans, crossed the party line to vote in favour of suspending her so do you think she'll be removed from the republican party at any time soon i don't think she will i mean you're saying i mean it is embarrassing to have someone in your party that's promoting such baseless and damaging theories but i mean they also like, trump <laughs> yeah <laughs> their sort of view to it is this, this coming into question is freedom of speech yeah do you know what I mean? So it would kind of set a precedent if they did. I mean, if they did fire her, then how many other Republicans would have to be fired for 
the inane baseless theories that they also believe in or that they have said, like Trump. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess it depends on what kind of party the, the Republican Party wants to become. Because obviously with Donald Trump becoming the president um, in 2016, the whole party changed from just like a normal conservative party to something that was so populist and insane and reactionary and I'm and it's depending if they want to continue on that route um and continue having people who are are not politicians be politicians um definitely depends on the way they go um and the way it's looking like um I mean they keep changing their mind on Donald Trump whether they support him or not like when after the um capital riots um, the minority leader of Congress uh, was like, no, this is not right. This is not okay. Uh, I just quote a song there. <laughs> um, but then a couple of weeks later, he's like, no, Donald Trump's my friend. Goes to see him in Florida. Um, it's up his arse again. Like, they need to make up their minds. Yeah, um, I mean, this so... <laughs> Taylor Greene is the literal political embodiment of the, the things that the people who stormed the Capitol believe in. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that they they were kind of jumping over the fence with, oh, no, we don't know if we're going to back Trump on this or if we're going to oppose him for, you know, what happened. They really kind of, they're in such a position where they, they kind of have to do something now because if not, it's just going to make them look really weak and spineless that they're allowing things like this to happen that they don't necessarily, you know, support and then allowing it to happen in their own party. The, que- the question is, I mean... It it certainly begs the question, you know, what what should we, what kind of checks should be in place, regarding who's allowed to run for these jobs in politics? Because if we're talking regardless of what party they're a part of, you know, whether they're Democrat or Republican or if they're an independent candidate, which doesn't normally happen in the U.S., but is what does it say about the system that someone who would promote these theories and try to convince others of these theories with no evidence that they are allowed to hold these positions of power. I mean, surely that creates a very dangerous environment. I feel like everybody has a right to get involved with politics, um, involved with the running of their own country. Yeah, that would be quite like unconstitutional if they suddenly decided who could run, because that's not democratic at all. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they, they also can have to watch because they keep getting all these nut jobs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that, that's, that's what I'm saying, because, you know, surely, surely the party would be doing their own research into their candidates, yeah. because I mean, it's what they a, do here. Imagine yeah. a pretty extensive vetting process and before someone comes yeah, to become president, and, which is surprising, because Donald Trump became president. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I'm not sure how she actually got past that vetting process because you don't have to go yeah. very far back to find these clips, and um, you know, M- Mitch McConnell came out and condemned her comments without condemning her. He never mentioned her by name, but said that people who believe in and started listing off all these things that she said but then never mentioned them yeah so, i guess that's i guess a lot to do with 
I guess Donald Trump being in charge at that point. Um, yeah. She definitely shouldn't have been qualified. Like, she shouldn't have been, the, the party shouldn't have, like, ticked her off as an eligible candidate, um, which is bizarre. Like, I can understand anybody can run for politics and you can run as an independent um, and it's obviously up to the party to decide who they, their candidates are. Um, hmm. I mean, they, how far back does it kind of go? Like, how, how far back does all these wild things that she's been saying go? Is it just come about now? Well, or is it what I've, been known for? What I've been seeing is the clips people have found surfaced in 2018. But, you know, people don't just one day wake up and decide that they're going to hold all these radical opinions. So, I, I mean, I, I'm i not sure. I've not done the digging myself. But there's, def- there's definitely enough substance to the claims to to see yeah. that the, the kind of misinformation that she's promoted in the past makes her a, pot- a potentially dangerous person to be a... I mean- Remember that the statute of limitations does exist in America. Yeah. But I'm I'm not actually sure if that would apply to the vetting process or what. I don't know how that works. But I mean, I suppose if you believe in something ten years ago, just probably quite high chance that you're still going to believe it. Yeah. It's just I'm I'm not sure how the whole process works. But if I was a member of the Republican Party and I was sitting in my office. And I was given the job of vetting this woman, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I go back and I find that she believes California wildfires <laughs> were started by Jewish space lasers. I feel like I'd leave a little <laughs> post-it note on that file saying, do, do not choose this person because it's going to be a disastrous PR nightmare, which is what it has become. But that's the thing, Donald Trump's changed politics in America to the point that um, some of the really the far right yeah like the far right Republicans they al- they almost don't care about their own image in the media because of how much they hate the media yeah so uh, yeah, yeah and that speech she even was like it's not my fault it's <laughs> mainstream media's fault yeah just blamed mainstream media for all these things and that should, they were cutting and splicing each thing which that's wasn't that's- true it's like mm. their scapegoat is just, oh, it's fake news, it's fake news, oh, it's mainstream media, oh, they're lying because they're out to get me. It's like, no, it's not. Just, mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? She'll be coming after this podcast next. Oh, no. I'm going to get sued. Yeah, defamation. <laughs> yeah. I don't have the kind of financial backing <laughs> to deal with it. I'll get the uni onto it. They can sort it for me. But, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene, definitely a story to keep your eye on because she's... You know, she's obviously come out and she's apologized. Well, I'm not even sure if she really did apologize for those comments. She just said that, you know, she's a, a different person now. But, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if people manage to dig up anything else on her that is somehow even more outlandish than Jewish space lasers. But um, I think for now we're just going to move on to our second story of the week which is that the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, has confirmed that Scotland will be in lockdown until the end of February in an attempt to keep cases to a minimum as the vaccine programme continues. Non-essential shops and businesses remain closed with a phased return to schools starting on the 22nd. So that that little bit at the end, the point of 
they are trying to get people back into schools. I think it's sort of nursery and early primary school years at first, and then it's going to, you know, eventually work its way up through, you know, the rest of primary school years and high schools, and then hopefully colleges and universities. Um, so this phased return of schools, is it, do you guys think it's something that we should be doing now, trying to get people back into classrooms, people like us as well, students? I can understand getting younger years back in as quick as possible mm. um, because I feel like trying to educate a toddler, basically, um, over Zoom um, and having parents having to take time off work um, to do all of that, it, it's quite difficult. Um, and their minds are, I guess, still growing in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um so it's like they are missing out on a whole chunk of education um but it's down to, it's like has to be safe um and i think the phase return would be wise um yeah. just i don't know it's it's quite difficult um but like with the vaccine rolling out um the most vulnerable people being um vaccinated mostly um mm. well having the first dose anyway um i feel like it's safer now uh, than it was in september anyway yeah because smp opposition have been very critical of the government's vaccination program you know saying that they've been you know slow rolling it out and their counter to that is that they've been trying to get all of the most vulnerable people vaccinated first. So, you know, they have a better proportion of care home residents that have been vaccinated and over 80s that have been vaccinated because that's where they say their focus has been. But, you know, obviously it still has been slow growing. You know, we were told a million people would be vaccinated by the end of January. We're into the first week of February and it's some somewhere around the 600,000 mark. 694,000. So, nearly 700,000. So, yeah, they are... It's starting to pick up now. Yeah. Um. I mean, they, my they mom is uh, helping with the vaccination rollout in Aberdeenshire and Aberdeen City. Right. Um. And I think a lot with the care home stuff. Um. Is because there is like a couple more outbreaks in care homes. Um. And they can't get into the care homes, and you're not allowed to have your vaccine after, not until three weeks after you've been infected with coronavirus right um so it's like that's what's been holding everything back Um, it's like trying to get into the care homes and they can't get into the care homes if they're in lockdown the thing that's sort of concerning me the most is the fact it's like all these new mutations are kind of popping up out of nowhere and we still don't know enough about it to guarantee that i mean i've seen things that they've confirmed that the vaccine is effective on different strains but only now it's taken them so long it's taken them since like last what was it March when the pandemic first began mm. to properly close borders and travel to restrict travel into the United Kingdom and um, I think it's, it's a bit too late and I, I totally agree with Aaron I think that um, you know 600,000 people it's, it's a lot of people because it's a lot of people vaccinated but um, I think it's just too little too late at the moment I think this should have been done a lot sooner 
or not, not just the vaccine, but measures should have been taken a lot sooner because it's just surpassed 100,000 people died yeah. in the UK mm-hmm. like two weeks ago. And this is through the fault of no one else other than the governments run this country. Their complete ineptitude and total effectiveness, ineffectiveness, sorry. Um, I'm sure that we're, we're, I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the lockdown. Scotland has fared fairly better than the rest of the UK. I feel like the SNP have been somewhat competent in its response to the virus. But I still, I still think we're quite a long way away from the end of this. I don't think this is going to be the last lockdown. Yeah, because yeah. they could very well still extend it once we get to the end of February, which is a decision they might take. But, you know, then again, we are seeing positive signs because, you know, the vaccine programme, although it is behind the schedule they originally said they were working to, it is picking up pace. And the R number today, I was reading, is down... Um, between one. zero point seven and one, mm-hmm. um, and oh, I, I think it was, it was at um, one point two or one point three before. It was zero point um, nine. Yeah, I read. So, you know, there's signs of improvement, and obviously, getting the economy going again is obviously a big factor they need to consider, and you know, getting Schools. kids back to so. school. And I, I understand why they're focusing on the younger children because, like you said, and I think they need that face-to-face interaction a lot I mean, more than we do. And obviously the childcare aspect on the yeah. parents and stuff, it's, a, it's an added no. stress. But I'm, st- I'm still the education hopeful. part, but the social interaction with yeah, other yeah. children. Yeah, yeah. Imagine how detrimental this has been to like, the development of these kids mm. who are not allowed, not getting to socialise and they're not being around people in school, so their immune system isn't even getting the chance to build up against other infections that would occur in schools normally mm. so I, I think that after this is all done like eventually if it ever ends I think there's going to be a lot of problems left behind by this the mental health problems educational problems social problems I think it's going to be really messy yeah towards the end I guess we're almost well we're we're quite fortunate in that this has occurred for us in our second year of uni um obviously you know when we get to third and fourth year you know there's exams and stuff and you know the the pressure sort of goes up a bit and on our course as well it's most of the things we do on our course it's all based around technology really mm-hmm. so it's some it's something we are able to do from home so we've been quite lucky in that respect but the the people i feel really bad for are the kids who should be doing their exams or have been doing them or you know been getting their predicted grades over the past year because you don't really have any control over what grade you get in that exam because yeah. it's you know based off the teacher's predictions and stuff and it's just <laughs> an unnecessary I stress i would have failed all of my exams if they did this when i was at school i, I can have that attitude for like uh, i'll revise like the week before it and i'll ace it in the exam well, no, see, that's the thing. I was I was thinking back on my predicted grades because before before COVID, I never understood the point of predicted grades. I didn't think they were very helpful, um, and it just kind of put kids in a bad position most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'd been given my predicted grades that I had in fifth year, 
for for my results. I would. <laughs> there is no way I'd be on this course yeah, today. I've been homeless by now. I, I would not have even been able to get a job. I was I was predicted. I think I was predicted like C's across the board, um, and that's the thing because th- those predictions they can come back and haunt you. Because I remember when I was in fifth year, um, I'd done my history exam and I got a C, and loads of people were getting their papers remarked and a lot of people getting their papers remarked ended up getting improved grades mm-hmm. and so my teacher said to me that she was going to send mine away and then I never heard anything <laughs> so then I asked <laughs> I asked and basically it landed on the deputy head's desk and he checked my predicted grade and apparently if the grade you get is within two bands of your predicted grade they won't send it away no matter what so my teacher thought that I actually got a B or I might have even got a low A and because of my predicted grade they never even checked so but yeah projected grades would have completely screwed me over for trying to get into uni and I'm I'm hoping that they're a bit more lenient with the predictions this year yeah I mean for me um like fifth year anyway and sixth year it's like before prelims mm. i probably would have got all a's after prelims didn't try <laughs> <laughs> didn't try like... in the prelims failed them all because <laughs> i just didn't the, care the day, um when we applied to uni like we applied before the results got back so a lot of it was mm. based on your predicted grade and because of my predicted grades which i, I didn't even have to say because it's embarrassing I, I i got rejected from a few of the courses I applied to, and when I got my paper, my exam drops back, I actually had a better mark than what was required to get into that uni. So yeah. they rejected me purely based on my predicted grade, and when my paper came back, I had actually got more than that. So I feel like so see if they just if they just done away with predicted grading, I probably would have got into all of the courses I applied for. So yeah, which think really well, what I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean, I think what's a lot's been a f- and. And personally, I think the worst affected is arts education. Um, yeah. I know a lot of people who are doing musical theatre and acting and stuff. Do we come under arts? All. Well, uh, we're I, in I'm, the creative arts building, yeah. so. Yeah, By meaning more like music and, yeah, and yeah. like that performing sort of thing. arts. Yeah, performing arts. Um, I have a lot of friends who are like at acting school and stuff. Um, and they're having to do it all via Zoom, uh, having to do dance classes on Zoom. That must be so um, awkward. I think my flatmate's friend um, gets noise complaints every day um, from the people downstairs in their flat because <laughs> because of their dancing classes. Tap dancing. Because, yeah. I mean, we've had... Uh, I mean, online learning is tough. You know, regardless of what course you're on, it's always going to be a challenge. Um, but our only sort of major challenge has been, you know, a lot of journalism is getting out and actually talking to people about mm. stories, which, you know, we can't do right now. But, yeah, there's uh, there's obviously going to be a big mental impact with online learning and getting kids back into school is important because you can, you know, you can be given the course materials and you can be told what to do, but it's not the same as you know, having access to facilities and resources and really being able to ask your lecturers a question because it's not like it's not like it was before where if we were, say we were doing a task in one of the computer rooms or something, you could just 
you know, walk up to the front and just have a word with a lecturer. It's like now you need to either just announce your question in front of everybody, which no one wants to do, well, or to do, you send them an email. Thing. If we were assigned things and it was kind of difficult, we used to just all meet in the Kilby yeah. and just sit in there all night and just do it. And it was like there was so many people that were on your course that were around you that you could just ask. And it was, it was so much easier because it had that interaction kind of thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It had like, oh, there's people there you could ask. And when we were in school, like if we were studying for exams, if you stayed behind, the point where you would always learn the most would be just when the teacher was still there. So you'd go and ask questions and stuff. And like they're not really getting that. And it's, I mean, I mean like what you said about the, the guy in art school, like imagine trying to act on Zoom, like in front of someone. How awkward would that be? And it, mm-hmm. like, you can't even put across the promotion or anything through that. So it's definitely arts that are st- uh, struggling most, performing arts. Yeah. I'd agree with that, absolutely. And also a big aspect of, well, uni, but school in general, you know, high school and primary school it's it is the the social aspect which everybody's being deprived of right now and we were kind of um, lucky we at least got first year yeah we got first year we went out to the pubs in that first year and like met each other like imagine if you know we just started this year we probably wouldn't be as close as we are with like everyone in the group chats and stuff yeah i feel kind of bad for the first years that just started because they never really got the, the uni experience at all it's gonna mean you know they're in depth with student loans and that and they never really got anything out of it social yeah. wise so. and also the university they expect the same standard of work the same quality of work that they're used to which makes it even more challenging especially when you're in a lecture like I remember last term I was in a lecture for what it was our uh, feature writing module and the the weather outside my house was so bad it was like the middle of a storm and I could not hear our lecturer speaking I couldn't um, his camera switched off for me and just nothing was working so I just had to leave the lecture and just sent him an email later apologising and I, c- I couldn't really catch up because, you know, you have access to the slides and the notes and stuff, but it's it's all bullet-pointed. You kind of need someone, you know, talking you through it and stuff. Yeah. So all this online stuff is a challenge. So even though there's a, you know, a certain amount of risk still with the amount of cases we're seeing, it is a good idea to be getting people back into school just sort of as soon and as safely as possible. Yeah, and I saw um, Aberdeen Uni um, had their their Senate. I don't I don't know what that is. Um, but they voted against um, putting back in place no detriment. I think it was um, something to do with like the ex- um, like the grades and stuff that wouldn't determine whether or not you pass uni or not. Um, hmm. Because of current, that was last year, and they used that. Um, but this year they've not continued it. Um, um, for and their excuse for that was because it'd be unfair on the better students. <laughs> um, so it's like <laughs> quite um, so unequal. Um, and like that's I guess it's like bringing back that attainment gap that is already so bad. Yeah. Um, like people are having to use their own resources. Um, that might not even be that great. 
um their mental health is shocking the mental health um ever they have no motivation um yeah. and they're still expected to ex- work at the exact same level um it's quite a bit I mean, unfair because that's the thing i feel like before sorry uh it's just that i feel like uh before all this kicked off the the whole the whole issue of people from uh, low income backgrounds or people in poverty not having sufficient access to the internet, I feel like that wasn't really taken very seriously yeah. um, until people had to learn online, and you know it, it is a problem now because it is you know reinforcing the attainment gap that you're talking about. You know, poorer children don't often have access to you know, Wi-Fi or, um, you know, a laptop and things like that, and then they end up missing out and they have to get work sent out to them. So, you know, they can still do the work, but, you know, you don't get the teacher's input, you don't get to see your classmates and, you know, things like that have a big mental impact. That's what I was going to ask what happens to the kids who can't afford laptops, kids whose parents don't, you know, can't pay for Wi-Fi? I mean, I know. I know... Down south in England, somewhere, there's a charity that is working on getting laptops to families that can't afford them so yeah, that kids can I've, do schooling. But, um, I've read I, that and I've seen that the requirements are actually quite stringent. For You have to fit into a certain category of people to, to apply to be able to you know, be able to get a laptop or get internet access. Did you guys have Chromebooks at your high school? Like, yes. you know, the trolley of laptops? <laughs> Shocking. You know, 2007 when those computers like tower computers yeah well like, you know you know the you know like the trolley of laptops yeah. that a class would get well um <laughs> my, my brother's still at high school and basically they just when the pandemic hit they were uh, they must have been given more funding by the scottish government but anyway they just bought up loads more laptops and just gave them to the pupils to go home with so that everybody would have access to one yeah, I think a lot of schools um, and councils were upping the funding and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I know at my school, and my 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 um school secondary school is not very big. Yeah. Um, and so it was. I'm. It's quite easy for smaller schools to do that. I think. Mm. Um, but then there's bigger schools which like are a broad like different classes as well. And there's a couple of big schools in the city centre um, in Aberdeen that are quite bad for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's the internet, like the access to internet. I know, I think the Tories have introduced, I think they're introducing free broadband for children and um, right. for school age people, um, which is quite funny since they laughed at Labour's, <laughs> at Labour introducing um, government funded broadband. Um, in 2019 general yeah, election um yeah a bit of a last gasp thing to get the polls up a bit before the election yeah but yeah this um yeah the the rules surrounding scotch lockdown you know if you live here in scotland that's obviously very important for you to be keeping up with and if you're you know a uni student or a school student you definitely want to be keeping an eye on that so that you know when you're expected back at school you you know, you may or may not be happy about it, but you are going back at some point. But for now, on this show, we are going to move on to our third story of the week, which oh. is that protests have erupted across Russia to demand the release of Alexei Navalny, 
the biggest political opponent to President Vladimir Putin. Navalny, an anti-corruption advocate, was taken out of the country after an attempt on his life, which he maintains was orchestrated by Vladimir Putin. After making a recovery, he returned to Russia and he was arrested as soon as he arrived, and he has now been sentenced to three and a half years in prison. So, have you guys been keeping an eye on the whole protest situation that's been going on in Russia? Yeah, I mean, this guy is insane. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you go back? I was I was surprised <laughs> that he did go back because oh, there's been a, a lot of critics of Putin that have, you know, fled the country and, you know, gone into hiding, essentially. But he was, he was very, you know, open and adamant that he was going to go back. I mean, he does have a huge vendetta on Putin's head. Um, yeah. And I guess, like, I understand um, he's very strong-willed on his, I guess, one, I don't even know what to say, wanting to put him, to get him out of power, uh, which is fair. Well, he's gone. Because um, <laughs> yeah. he is corrupt. Um, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's quite insane and and there's like videos of him just like smiling at the court case like to his wife sending yeah. love hearts yeah, like, yeah. what the hell he held a love heart up to the glass box that they were keeping him in See, but, I, think he's, I think he's great I mean I, I, I'm not completely informed on his politics but from what I've been seeing in this case he's one of the best domestic critics, uh, critics of the Putin regime yeah um, oh yeah and he was poisoned by him, and they haven't like the quote that Putin said, which I think is the best thing I've ever heard in my life, was that when he was asked if he was involved in the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, he said that if he wanted Navalny dead, he would have finished the job already. Yeah, <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird situation. It's like we didn't do it because if we did it, he'd be dead. Yeah, like it's not, it's not the innocent claim you think it is. They've got such a track record of doing th- things like this in the past. Yeah. Look at the, the Salisbury poisoning. I mean, the, there's, a, there's a number of um, Navalny supporters and journalists that have been detained Yeah. Um, at the airport when he was arrived back because he was, he was in a coma in Germany. And he flew back to Russia. And the Federal Penitentiary Service, which is like the prison service of the Russian Federation, they said that he may face jail time upon his arrival in Moscow for violating the terms of probation um, of a case that he was involved in in 2014. Yeah. And that they would be obliged to detain him once he returned. Yeah, it was to do with the fact that he wasn't allowed to leave the country. Um, yeah. But and the reason he left the country was because there was an attempt made on his life. Yeah, and the Human Court of Rights ruled that he was unfairly convicted in the first place. And mm. <laughs> to, to counter it, the investigative committee of Russia also said that it was investigating Navalny for alleged fraud. So that they said that they were he was under probation and not allowed to leave the country when an attempt on his life was made. Yeah. And then to counter the fact that they said, well, no, he was allowed to leave the country. They said, oh no, but we're prosecuting on something else for fraud and didn't like they failed to give any details on it. Well, so there's like a new so story. See-through. There's a new story that's come out today. Um, apparently, Navalny's going to be back in the courtroom. Um, He's facing an additional charge. Uh, he's been so basically, there was a like a promotional video for um, Putin where there were these Russian celebrities who were endorsing him, and apparently one of them 
was a 94-year-old war veteran. Um, and Navalny, I think he tweeted about the video. Yeah, he, he tweeted about the video and he said that everyone who appeared in it was a disgrace to the country, people without conscience, traitors. So he's now facing charges of slandering a war veteran, <laughs> which is apparently a specific crime you can be charged for. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of... I mean, if he's you know broken laws according to Russian law, then... You know it's valid, but it also but it does feel like it's it's just it's up. trumping up charges to yeah. keep him quiet because the day I feel like the like the Western world sort of have an obligation like like the human uh, court of rights have said that oh he was unfairly convicted and that they should be doing this. Mm. So we have realised that these are, I mean anyone can see that they're clearly trumped up charges. They're doing it because he's the second he's he's the biggest opposition figure. And he's he's got a track record of what they would call radical beliefs, you know, like speaking out against Putin's administration. Mm. But it's it's the fact that it's so similar to what was happening in Ukraine. Remember that with the protests. Yeah. And there was police and they were beating up protesters on the street. Over it's like the second weekend, and there's been two thousand six hundred demonstrations across the country. Not, not, not people already. That's different demonstrations across the country. I feel like he just so the Kremlin just doesn't care. Well, what I was going to ask is, do you think the international community, you know, the UK government and the EU and you know the UN and all, and you know, just every like international collective, do you think that they have failed in? properly holding Putin to account in these circumstances I don't think it really matters Yeah, nothing's going to change (laughs) (laughs) I mean they have come out against him because a number of officials from the United States and the EU like uh, Secretary of State of the US um, German Foreign Minister and the British Foreign Secretary they've called, what was it they've expressed concern and yeah. called on Russian authorities to release Navalny. That's not really going to do anything. Though. That's exactly like, come on, just please. Yeah. Please, come it's on. not. <laughs> it's not. It's not a. If you if you say, if you if you tweet at him saying, you know, over here we're all oh we're we're cross about this. That's not going to concern a guy who has supposedly, and I say the word supposedly. Right, and you guys have to say supposedly, so I don't get. <laughs> so I'm not next. Um, who has supposedly orchestrated hits against his critics ac- across the globe, and you know if we go back to the um, Novichok poisoning in Salisbury, you know Putin was accused of being behind that. The um, the two. Uh, Russians who were accused of the crime appeared on state TV and they gave an interview and they said they were visiting Salisbury as tourists and they said that they were there to see the 123 metre tall spire which sounds like they just got it straight off the Wikipedia page so they were clearly you know they were clearly there for other reasons and can't wait to go to Salisbury and see that 148 metre spire and like in, in the past <laughs> Putin has said that, you know, in these instances, it's 
if they're proven to be FSB, that they were working alone and that, you know, they've been fired or, you know, what whatever. But he keeps... He keep, these people in Russia that are accused of committing crimes... They they never they never end up leaving Russia, you know. Putin wants to keep them very close, so that you know, no one starts saying mafia anything state. against them. It's, it's, a, it's a mafia state. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah. No denying that. It's all it's government by, controlled. Like, I'm sure it was yeah. the army that quoted it. So it was run by crooks and thieves. Yeah. Which it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this isn't you know this isn't the first time we've seen people in Russia protesting against the government. I doubt it will be the last time we see people in Russia protesting against the government. The question is whether or not, you know, these protests are going to lead anywhere, if there's going to be any change. I'd, I mean, I'm going to be the first one to say that I'm sceptical that anything will change because Putin doesn't really care about his image. It's just more about, you know, him being in power. So whether these protests change anything or not, that's something... We're going to have to keep an eye on, but for now, I can't believe it. 45 minutes are up already, so that is the end of the show. So, Ruri, Aaron, big, big thank you for coming on with me this Pleasure. week. Thanks for Hope having you've us. enjoyed yourselves. I have. Great and fun. I hope you guys have all enjoyed listening. Take care.